so good. Like, this text is so good. I want to make sure this is a good sermon, you know? Like, let me really knock this one out of the park. And so I'm starting to think, how could I be clever and so eloquent? And then I was reminded of the old words of Dr. James Denny. No man can give the impression that he himself is clever and at the same, Christ, at the same time Christ be mighty to save. Ah, James Denny. So... I decided, scrap that. Let's not be clever. Instead, all I want to do is slowly walk us through the text. That's it. Slowly walk through the text, give one helpful illustration and a closing story. There you go. That's, that's my clever outline. The text, an illustration, a story. So there you go. First, the text. Psalm 121. Hopefully you have it open. I'm going to read a song of ascent. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's walk through right from the beginning. The first thing we see is a song of ascent. So by way of reminder, we need to realize this is a collection of psalms. We have 150 psalms. There's five different books in the psalms, and we're in book number five. Each of the books are arranged thematically, categorically, and these psalms, best guess is they were used as pilgrim psalms, as there are three trips that people would take as Jewish followers of Yahweh, Passover, the Pentecost. They would make journeys up to Jerusalem from Galilee or other parts away from Jerusalem, and they'd come to worship God three times of the year. And these would be the songs that they would sing. These would be the sort of themes or the the truths that would be known amongst the people as they caravaned together. Think of the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, the only story we have of Jesus when he's a youth, when he's a young child. I know there's some movie coming out about this. Well, we've got very little information about Jesus as a young child, and it's in Luke chapter 2. And they lose Jesus. <laughs> they're, they're caravanning up to the temple, and then they're leaving, and on the way back, they realize, where did Jesus go? They traveled in groups, and it seems as if what happened as they traveled in these groups up to Jerusalem from Nazareth or Bethlehem or far off places like Galilee, they'd sing these psalms. So the Psalms of Ascent, Ascents is actually in the plural because it could mean that there's one great ascent to the holy city, there's some interpretation that way, or it's maybe the great ascent that they made as they returned from exile because this is in book number five. There's, there's a lot of different ways to take this, but this is the most common interpretation that these Psalms are ascending up to the hill of Jerusalem. Verse 1, I lift my eyes to the hills. We saw in verse 5 of chapter 120, the previous psalm last week, 
that this series of collection begins far away. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Those places are in opposite directions, really far away from Jerusalem. And so these, this journey begins from feeling very far away. And so we begin right here in verse 1. I lift my eyes to the hills. But this is fraught with all kinds of troubles and issues when we figure out, what are the hills? I wonder what you've thought as you've read this psalm or heard it before. Are the hills a place of hope? I lift my eyes to the hills. I've been far off, and there my hope is, my help is. They're found in the hills where the presence of God is in Jerusalem. Or are the hills a place of danger? Think of the story Jesus tells, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the man heading down from Jerusalem on the dangerous road to Jericho? Every way that you go to Jerusalem is up, and it is treacherous, and it is difficult. And even if you were to go today via car, you would know that there's so many switchbacks that even though it's a straight line, is about 14 miles up to Jerusalem, it takes about 50 miles to finally get to Jerusalem. It's a steep incline, about 1,000 miles up from where they were at on the bottom of the hill to the top. So imagine walking that by foot. Imagine knowing that there's thieves and bandits and robbers. Are the hills a place of safety? Or is he saying, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where's my help going to come from? The hills are scary. Can't really know for sure. What we do know for sure is all that we need to know is that this psalmist needs help. Where? Where is my help going to come from? Alec Matier says it this way, we don't know why the author is looking to the hills and why he prompted the important question about his help. Matier says, I believe it is deliberately left blank so that we can write in our own problems as they arise. This psalm is not just a psalm for pilgrims of old looking to help in their journey. It is a psalm for us. So he asks, what is your problem? Not, what's your problem? Like, what's your problem? What do you need help with? Are you good? Are you like Sergi who shared his testimony? You come to Embassy Church and everything's perfect. No more need for help. Everything's great, grand. I'm good. Or are we a room full of people of, needing of help, relational conflicts, anyone struggling with financial needs, work issues, anyone anxious or worried about their future and what it will hold, anyone tired this morning, anyone needs some help, you're feeling weary, anyone tired of hearing about threats of terrorism and wondering whether or not you should go anywhere in public? Concerned about upcoming elections and the future of your government or economy? Are you sad about the loss of a loved one? What pain, what hurt are you dealing with? Where do you need help? And then there's your sin. 
Do not all of us in this room not need help with our sin against God to fight against our sin? Probably the worst thing that we could ever say is that I I don't need any help. What pride. What foolishness. What blindness. If there's ever a sense where you come to Embassy Church and you're feeling like people just don't seem real. You know, they seem like everything's good and happy. Don't they realize that life is hard and difficult and we suffer? I want to just acknowledge that I don't think that should be a healthy church culture where we just pretend and act like everything is perfect. But if it seems that way, maybe it's because we know, like the psalmist knows, that there's help. It's not that everything's perfect and peachy keen for us. It's that maybe some of us are happy because we have help. We've received help. Have you received help? Do you know this help? The psalmist does. Are you willing to admit you need help? That's step one. This psalm, this word, this message will do you no good if you think you're good. In fact, the whole Bible and all of Christianity is only for those who understand that they're sick. Jesus only came for sick people that need help. If you're healthy, if you're good, and you can tune me out. You don't need this. This isn't for you. This is for people who need help. And the psalmist says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. Where? Where? Where is my help? From the Lord. From the Lord. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the only one in the whole of history that has never once needed help. A.W. Tozer says in his wonderful little book, So lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy to believe that God needs us. But the truth is that God is not any greater, nor would he be any less glorious if we never existed. Probably the hardest thought of all for our natural egotistical minds is to entertain that God does not need your help. The hardest thought for your natural egotistical mind is to entertain the idea that God does not need your help. He never has, he never will. Our help comes from the Lord who has never once needed help. Where does your help come from? The maker of heaven and earth. We literally need help that is out of this world. All help in this world is created help. The help we need is not of this world. It comes from outside of you, and it comes from outside of anything on this earth. It doesn't come from the self-help section in the bookstore. Oh, the irony of self-help books, friends. They're not self-help. Somebody wrote the book. Unless you wrote the book, that's when it's self-help. We're deceiving ourselves. We want to act like, well, I'll just help myself. I'll get a book and I'll help myself. You don't need a book if you can help yourself. Some people don't think they need help, but probably more common Most of us struggle with the fact that we don't think we need God's help. 
No, we're not too proud to say, I, I don't need help. I'm fine. I'm good. We're at least humble enough. I need help. But the way we live our lives, the lack of prayer that we don't turn to God, the way that we try and figure it out ourselves or turn to our friends or our family or our counselors or our doctors or our experts on the world, created things, created people, we're looking to help in all the wrong places, it's just evidence that we just don't believe we need God's help. We need help. It's not His help. This is why we need to learn to talk to ourselves like the psalmist does. The key phrase here is like the psalmist does. We don't need people talking to ourselves. We're already weird enough as Christians and ostracized. We don't need a bunch of people talking to themselves. Talk to yourself like the psalmist does. Where does my help come from? He's asking the question. Notice he gives his own answer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He reminds himself, my help is only found in the Lord, and therefore he is the maker of heaven and earth. This isn't just a God, it is the God of gods, the king of kings, the creator of all the universe. Is there anything too difficult for the one who spoke everything into existence, who sustains it all by his powerful word? He has all the resources you need. Because all that you are is from him. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Is there any difficulty that is too big for him? John Owen says the greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on God the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to him is what? In a statement like that, your mind's got to be filling with all kinds of sins and awful things. What's the, the greatest unkindness that you could do to God? I was not expecting to hear what John Owen said next. The greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to Him, is not believe that He loves you, that He cares for you, that he wants to help you. Friend, I ask you, do you know the God who did not spare his own son, we read in Romans chapter 8. So how will he not also graciously give us all things? If he gave us his son, if he took care of the greatest problem in your life, the wrath of God, your sin against a holy God. That's the greatest problem you have this morning. I don't know if that's what you're thinking as you come in here this morning, is that I need help this morning, and it's the wrath of God. That's why the Bible addresses us from such a different angle and perspective so repeatedly. It assaults our self-centeredness so regularly. The God-centered Bible says, no, your greatest problem is me, God. Do you understand that God has provided the solution and the help to that problem? So if he's done that already, how do you think he won't give you what you need now in these little, smaller problems? That's why John Owen would say what he does. Because of Romans chapter 8. If, if he's done that, what, what an assault 
what an offense, what a burden that you would lay on the Father that you don't believe that he loves you and would care for you this way. This is the sort of talk that we need to learn to speak to ourselves. And when you're struggling to muster the words or the thoughts, you need other people to speak to you. And this is the way verse 3. Notice the change in the, the dialogue here. We, we begin with, I lift my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Verse 3, the my's and eyes are gone. He. So now it's as if someone is addressing. Maybe he's still speaking to himself, or maybe it's like this psalm is supposed to be done in a way where it's back and forth. It's corporate. It's antiphonal is the way if you know scripture readings where the speaker speaks and then the congregation responds back. Many suggest that that's what's going on here is you have the first two verses written in the first person and then now we have third person. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Derek Kidner points out that verse 3 is actually not written as a statement. It's actually written in such a way where it's, it's actually saying more of a prayer or desire. You, you could say it this way. May he not let your foot be moved. And may the one who keeps you not slumber. And then the answer, because it's still this dialogue going back and forth, is in verse 4. Behold. See, that's, that's the longing in his heart. I, I want a God who would help me and not let my foot be moved. My, my desire is that he would not fall asleep on me. He would keep watch over me. So the answer is in verse 4, behold. I love that word. Behold. Look at him. Consider him. Consider that he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Of course he's not sleeping on the job. Behold the God who never slumbers nor sleeps. That's like a whole day's worth of meditation this week for me. He never slumbers nor sleeps. We sleep all the time. Most of you wanted an extra hour of sleep today. Oh, spring forward. What a crazy, dumb idea. Why do we do this to ourselves? We need sleep. I'm tired. I was thinking back when John was first born, I would play with our kids, and I have a picture that my wife took of me. I just passed out on the floor in the playroom trying to play with my kids, and then I'm out. There's a father with a new baby. How weak are we that we need sleep? You realize every single day as you get tired, it's another reminder of how finite you are. You should be humbled every time you have to lay your head down to sleep. And no, God's not going to sleep, but you are. It's really a perplexing thought. God, the creator of heaven and earth, could have made this world and us as humans without the need for sleep. He could have. That doesn't seem too impossible. So why? Why is a third of your life, depending, give or take, some of you sleep more, some of you sleep less, why is it unconscious? Why is it sleeping? We could get so much more done. Well, how much more effective could we be for God? Oh yeah, he doesn't need us. Oh yeah, everything's going to be just fine when we go and lay our heads down to sleep. 
Everything's going to be okay. Your world and his world, it's going to keep revolving. The earth will spin on its axis. The sun will stay where it does. Things are going to be fine. God is in control. You're supposed to think that every night when you go to bed. God's on his throne. He is good. And I can sleep tonight no matter how bad my day was, no how fearful I might be. There's new mercies tomorrow. God's good. I'm going to wake up. Great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I've needed, my hand, his hand, he has provided. He keeps watch constantly. That's the idea. He never sleeps. He's not a guard who falls asleep, supposed to keep in watch. Our enemies come in. I'm supposed to make sure that we stay safe, keep in watch. Never once dozes off his constant care for us. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. He's not only always watching, he's always close by. He's at your right hand. He's like your shadow. You can't get away from it. He's always going to be next to you. You think he's far away, but he's there. He's near. He's close. He's always available. He's at your right hand. Verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. This is classic Hebrew, Hebrew poetry. By day or by night. The contrast here is to show you the totality of God's care and watch for you. Whether it is the difficult, sun-scorching heat during the day, or the crazies of the moon at night, the dangers that come at night, day or night, he cares. He watches. You will be protected. It was common in this day, and the psalmist wrote this, where we get the word lunatic from, that people would get crazy from staring too long into the moonlight. It could be that that's, in fact, what he's thinking here. Don't want to stare too long at the sun. Don't want to stare too long at the moon by day or by night, the sun or the moon. He's got it covered. 24-7, all times, and he concludes in verse 7 and 8, all circumstances, no exceptions. The Lord will keep you from all evil. All. Every single word in this psalm. All evil. The Lord will keep your life, all of you, against all of evil. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, just in case you get carried away, you take the poetic imagery too far, or you take the Psalms and really the whole Bible out of its context. Several different pastors, scholars point out. This does not mean we live a cushiony life. It means we have help through the storm. Remember, where does my help come from? The fact that he says that he will keep you from all evil does not mean that you won't need help. It means that you will have help through the evil, and you will have help from the ultimate evil. The key, I think, here is to make sure you see the last word of this psalm, forevermore. 
That means this help is not temporary. It is not finite. It is not on this earth only. It is forever help. Friends, so often you come to God and you think you have a need for help and he gives you way more than you could ever ask for. I need some help right now in this current situation. Well, I'm going to give you help forever more. Now and forever. I'll help you now. How good are these two concepts? Derek Kidner in his commentary says it's hard to choose which is sweeter. That the fact that God helps us now or forevermore. And I say, why choose? They're both great. Receive them both now. He's available now, always, constantly, right now. And he will help you forevermore. This help and watchful keeping will preserve you to the end. sermon title. We will persevere with confidence because he preserves us. Do you understand that? You will persevere. You will finish your race not because of the greatness of your perseverance, but because of his keeping, his preserving. There's the text, an illustration. Richard Sibbs, he says, as we say of a mother and her child, both hold one another, but isn't the safety of the child the fact that the mother is holding I have been soaking on that sweet picture all week as I hold my baby boy. Grabs my finger, grabs my beard, grabs my arm. He's holding me. But what a fool and an idiot would I be if I go, well, he's got me. Let me let go. John, you're good. Security of the child is in the fact that the father and the mother is holding you. Yes, we persevere and we continue to hold on to Christ. That's a sermon for another day. In fact, we gave that back in the Hebrews series. So go back. We need to persevere. The whole book of Hebrews was about persevering. Fight to the end. Run your race. Look to Jesus. This sermon's not about your perseverance. This one's about the Father holding you. He's going to hold you, and that's your security. If you think it's in your grip, you're no more stronger than my son John. But do you have confidence in the hold of the Father? How can we not think of the words of Jesus in John chapter 10? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. And he is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hands. You're double held, friends. 
held by Christ. No one can snatch them out of my hand, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Two hands. You're held securely. This is our confidence. You will persevere to the end because he's holding you. That's the illustration. So a story. 2,000 years ago, there was a son who made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And this son knew that when he lifted his eyes up to the hills, there would be no help. In fact, the scriptures say that as he set his face toward Jerusalem, it got more and more dangerous. But no matter how many times people tried to harm him or kill him, he was still being kept by his father and protected until finally his last journey up the hill to Jerusalem on a Passover celebration as he probably was in a throng of people singing the very psalms that we're going through right now. During this time, the Passover time, this son, Jesus Christ, had something very different happen. There was a new Passover meal taking place, a new meaning given to this meal. The bread in the cup was now the new sign. The lamb was now no longer the centerpiece at the table. And there at the table, though, was a betrayer. Jesus made mention of this. All of the men in the room denied it. And there they went after that meal, out to the garden. And the son asks the father. He prays. He pleads. Help! Help! I need help! He even took, looks over to his closest friends and he asks them, keep watch, watch, stay awake, don't sleep. He asks the father again, help, goes back to his friends and they're sleeping. They're not watching, they're not helping. He is abandoned and alone, betrayed by one of his closest friends, abandoned by his father. He cries for help and he gets no help. It's as if the father was asleep. The father has stopped holding and keeping him. It was as if the father let his foot slip. No answer. And repeatedly, his friends could not stay awake. What a picture of us. Spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. The gospel tells us that Jesus Christ lost his life. This promise that the Lord will keep your life is only sure for you and for me because Jesus said, I will lose my life. Do you believe this, friends, that God has already provided for you all the help that you could ever need through Jesus Christ? In case you think I'm just trying to read the Old Testament and not read it like a Jewish person would read it, 
the scriptures make it clear, I think, in Jude, one of the last books of the Bible, and I can't help but think that Jude, as he closes his book, as he says that there is a God who keeps his people, he calls, he loves, and he keeps his people, Jude has to have these words on his mind from Psalm 121. And he links them to the death and the work of Jesus Christ. So this is the benediction a bit early, but we'll say it again at the end of the service. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Stumbling, your foot slipping. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and slipping. But here's the thing that Jude adds that the Psalm 121 doesn't add. Psalm 121 presents a beautiful picture, but it doesn't give us the whole story. Now to him who's able to keep you. So we've been thinking about he keeps. He won't let you slip. And present you as blameless. He keeps and he presents. He preserves and he presents Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, Jude says, he will keep you blameless before the presence of God Almighty. Friends, God will keep you and he will present you before God Almighty with great joy. Blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. May he be given all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time. And then watch this. Now, this is available now and forevermore. Doesn't that just ring of Psalm 121 through the lens of Jesus Christ? I love the way it just makes him sing almost. Make some praise and just worship this great God. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. It just made me start singing again in the house. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Friends, there's so many good songs to sing I pray that he will be on your lips and on your heart. This God, he will preserve your life. Put your confidence and hope in him. That's your application, your takeaway. Whether you're going through it and you need it now or soon enough, may he be the rock to help you to persevere. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us. What an amazing thought that you never sleep. Your care is constant. It is without exception. God, we give you thanks for this word this morning. What sweet, precious words. All of us are here. We know we need help. But thank you that you tell us where our help comes from and who the help is coming from. Thank you for Christ. 